please remain standing, and it, we are happy to have our good friend, Reverend John Montgomery, back and fill the pulpit this morning. It's good to be back with you once again. I guess this is my second coming. <laughs> if you'll turn to the book of Isaiah in the 52nd chapter, beginning at verse 13, R.C. Sproul wrote a book called Surprised by Suffering, and in this book he indicates that we seem shocked, taken back, surprised when we suffer, and he goes on to say why we shouldn't be. I remember the early followers of Jesus Christ, who when he spoke of his suffering and death that was pending, they were taken back and surprised, and just couldn't quite put that into any category that they had for uh, what they thought was King David revived, coming back to overcome the Romans. Let's read this section that is quoted in the New Testament and referred to in the New Testament many times. And We shouldn't be surprised that our Savior is called the suffering servant. This is the word of the Lord. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand." Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. 
By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let us pray. Father God, we do pray for illumination from this marvelous passage of Scripture. Thank you, Father, that you are a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that Jesus is light, and he's brought light into the darkness of this world, and he's brought light into the darkness of our own hearts. Thank you now, Father, that you would shed your light upon this scripture. Be the one who speaks and those who listen. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. And all God's people said, please be seated. You may wonder how sometimes we preachers come to speak on the subjects upon which we speak. And I don't know, I have a clear answer uh, for that as to uh, how that happens every time. But I was praying to the Lord, what do you want me to say to the people at Christ the King? And I was praying and I wasn't getting some answers. And then Linda, my wife, came to me. And by the way, as an aside, uh, Linda loves the biographical write-up on me uh, from the information that I'd given to Minda Templeton, and she's keeping it for an obituary. Uh, I, I don't know where her heart and mind is on these things. Um, if I should die in the near future, uh, she might be a person of interest. But she, she came to me, and she said, Elizabeth Elliot died, and I don't know how many of you know much or anything about Elizabeth Elliot. It was the Sunday I was here on the 14th uh, last. Uh, Elizabeth El- Elliot, uh, for those of you who don't know much about her or need a little review, uh, she was married to a man by the name of Jim Elliot, who went down to Ecuador to minister to the Aka Indian tribe, and he was killed with a spear pretty much upon his arrival there. Uh, interestingly, she went to that tribe herself shortly thereafter and very successfully, to the glory of the Lord, ministered to those people. Um, then she was married to a man by the name of Addison Leach while I was in seminary at Gordon-Conwell, same place that uh, Mike Malone went. Uh, and I really love this congregation. It's a congregation, obviously, has been pastored by Mike Malone and been uh, taught uh, and raised up in uh, theology, uh, biblical theology. Uh, Mike has uh, been a friend of mine for a long time. We've played golf together. He almost always beats me. Um, interestingly, uh, he started uh, St. Paul's Church on September the 8th, 1991, and the Lord uh, used me and Mark Bates to start our churches the next week uh, there in the Orlando area. And so I've known Mike for some time, and I'm uh, Uh, pleased that uh, he's followed the will of the Lord to be where he is now. And I'm sorry for you that he's gone, but uh, you've got something uh, great in store for you, I'm sure. So Linda tells me about Elizabeth Elliot, and she had the suffering of Jim Elliot dying. Uh, Addison Leach died after a great deal of suffering in his life while I was at seminary there. And then she actually married one of my uh, seminary classmates, and uh, her daughter married another of my seminary classmates. But she uh, experienced uh, 
a great deal of suffering toward the end of her life with Alzheimer's. So she was a person who was well acquainted with suffering, and somehow that resonated with my spirit, and I felt that's what the Lord said, I want you to preach on, is the subject of suffering. And so we uh, come uh, to this uh, text this morning, and let's uh, look at this section in uh, Isaiah 52, uh, which there are three verses. I think they refer to the greatness of God uh, as we look at these. Uh, My servant will act wisely. He will be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Uh, It's interesting that uh, there could be no higher exaltation uh, than being resurrected from the dead, ascending to heaven, and being seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I remember my father once asked me, what does that mean? And basically, uh, Jesus is the power source of God uh, there in the heavenlies um, among God the Father and God the Spirit. Uh, and he is, he is there. We read in the very last verse of what we read today that he's there making intercession for transgressors. That's one of his uh, wonderful roles. He's praying for you and for me. I pray that he's praying for me right now. Uh, for your sake, uh, and for the sake of the gospel. And then we have uh, something very much in uh, contradistinction. Uh, We go from exaltation uh, down to degradation uh, to speak of uh, just what happened to him at the hands of the Romans. Uh, You'll remember uh, before he was hung on the cross, he was beaten very savagely. He was slugged in the face. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. And it indicates here that he was marred disfigured. Uh, He was uh, unrecognizable in his uh, features that you normally would have recognized him by uh, had he not been all swollen up and beaten as he was. I know as a pastor, I've gone into the hospital on occasion and gone into a room to uh, see one of the folks that I've come to visit and taken a look at them in the bed and, and gone back out to look at the number of the room to make sure I was in the right room. Sometimes people are just not uh, what they uh, seem to be anymore uh, in the way that they've been marred or disfigured. And then we come to this uh, verse 15 that talks about uh, him sprinkling many nations. We spoke of his blood this morning. We read of his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And Moses would uh, take the blood of the sacrifice and he would dip a hyssop branch and leaves into the blood. and He would sprinkle it uh, on the word of God and he would sprinkle it on the people, uh, signifying uh, their forgiveness and their participation in the sacrifice. And Jesus' blood is that which forgives us of of our sins. And we'll have quite a detailed account coming up in chapter 53 uh, with regard to that in just a moment. But uh, then we see the response in this verse 15 of of the kings of these nations and the the premiers and the prime ministers and the presidents and whatever else that you might uh, call them. Uh, In that day, uh, among the Israelites, among other uh, peoples and nations, uh, all the way up to present day and into the future, when they see who Jesus really is, when they realize who he is, exalted, lifted up and high, they will be dumbfounded. They will be speechless. They will realize that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and that their kingship has no merit and could not hold a candle to him in terms of who he is. And then we get to uh, chapter 53 and these first three verses, I think speak of the guilt of the people of Israel And it's a prophecy about the nation of Israel uh, who 
have had so many opportunities to see the blessing of the Lord right there before their very eyes and have been blind to just who this Lord is and what he has done. Who has believed what they heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like a young plant, nothing much to have him be noticed by us, like a root out of dry ground. It was their own hearts that, was, that were dry. He didn't have any form or majesty uh, that we should look at him. He wasn't uh, regaled as kings of his day and previous days. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, uh, a man from whom men hide their faces. And we, the Israelites, esteemed him not. And this has application to us as well. There was a time in my life when I didn't esteem him, that I rejected him. I was raised in a moral home. Uh, I went to church. I believed there was a God. I believed there was a heaven. I thought I was a good guy, and he'd be lucky to have me. (laughs) And that was just my Boy Scout mentality toward spiritual things. I had a lot of merits on my sash, merit badges. And I thought the more he had, the more he'd love you. And the more he'd welcome you into the kingdom of heaven. And here's the same thing with the Jewish people and other people. I have uh, among my friends a man by the name of Will. And that's his real name. And he wouldn't mind me giving you his name. I've known Will for the better part now of 10 to 15 years. Uh, He first uh, came to my church, but very sparingly so. I call it my church, the Lord's church, uh, but just the way pastors talk. Uh, we have our blood, sweat, and tears there, so we feel it's ours, but it really belongs to him, like everything else, like Zach said. But uh, Will and I have met over and over and over for lunch. We've talked of sports. We've talked spiritual things. Uh, we've talked about everything under the sun. Will even went on a missionary trip with me down to uh, South America. Um, he believes there's a God and believes there's a heaven, but that's about it. There's no dimension to it. There's no depth to it. He basically rejects most things that I've shared with him, uh, not in a mean-spirited way. He's a great guy, and I love him as a friend. Uh, he's read Mere Christianity and found it interesting, uh, but nothing's happened. And I see him maybe once a month or so for lunch, and uh, one day uh, a month or so ago, uh, he said, when are we going to talk about spiritual things again? Uh, oh, man, this is, this is good. <laughs> And I said, you name the time and the place, and I'll be there. So Will showed up last Thursday at Panera, and we met from 1 to 4 o'clock. And we had the, the deepest and the, and the greatest conversation we've ever had about spiritual things. I want you to pray for Will if the Lord puts him on your mind. I think the, the Lord's working in his life. I think the, the Holy Spirit is working on him right now, the hound of heaven. And uh, I, I may be wrong. I don't know. I told him, I said, I love you whether you become a Christian or not. But... Uh, uh, it would be the greatest thrill of my life if you become a Christian. And so we're going to get together again here in a few weeks. And, uh, and here's a guy that just hasn't, it hasn't connected for him yet. And God hasn't revealed himself to him yet. But I pray he will, and he will soon. Then we come to this uh, section here uh, that I call grace. This whole thing that we've got in front of us is about grace, as is the entire scripture's. But uh, in these verses 4 through 6, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
we esteemed, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Now, notice that he was smitten by God. Uh, and I want you to also notice uh, uh, in another portion that we're going to come to uh, shortly, verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Whose fault is it that Jesus went through what he did? It was his father's fault. Uh, it was all a part of his father's plan and his father's love for you and for me. And that love is spelled out in marvelous letters here. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And I pray we'll bring will peace and, and others who haven't yet come to the Lord, who's brought me peace. And with his stripes, we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us have turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Let me say several things about this section. First of all, there's quite a reference here, I think, to the fall of man. I went over this with Will the other day, and uh, he never knew that there was a tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that seemed to really interest him greatly. Um, and in, in the fall of man, we have, before that time, uh, Adam and Eve in perfect harmony with their creator. Had fellowship with God. Everything was great on the vertical plane. Everything was wonderful and great on the horizontal plane with each other and all the rest of creation. And when they uh, disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden fruit, uh, then everything changed. Uh, then suffering entered the world, disease, pain, all the things that you and I find that take our joy out of this life, uh, and then death as well. There was the spiritual death that they experienced, being no longer in fellowship with God as they were before. They hid in the garden. They recognized all of a sudden that they were naked, and they found shame in that. Um, and so God sought them out in the garden, and then they blamed each other for, and the devil for what went on. Uh, and then the Lord entered into their lives some things that weren't there before. There was going to be pain in childbirth now. There was going to be toil in working the soil. And all kinds of other things entered into the world uh, that not, would not have been there had they continued to obey God in the way that they did. Now, in this section, too, uh, with Jesus, uh, there, these words in the Hebrew are the strongest words the Hebrew language has to explain what Jesus has done for you and for me. And the words that I use to explain these words will not be strong enough to explain what Jesus has done for you and for me either. It's not this just that Jesus, and, and he does all this, he understands us, our suffering, our pain, our diseases. He, he has compassion upon us. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Yes, all that, but this says much, much, much more than that. It says that he actually became our diseases. He became our pain. He became our sin. He became our suffering. And he took on the death penalty for us that we earned in the garden because of our fall. He took all those things upon himself and he experienced them literally and figuratively. And, and that's what this is saying here. That's, that's something far deeper than I think yet my heart fully understands. To the degree I understand it, I, I want to weep. I, I'm, I'm humbled by these things. Let me say with regard to this whole matter of salvation, Romans 3, I'm always amazed as it says that none is righteous, no, not one, verses 10 and 11 there. Uh, no one even seeks after God. That's, that's 
the severity of what happened in the garden. We don't even seek after God. It's not in our nature. C.S. Lewis said it'd be like a, a mouse looking for a cat. Uh, we just don't do that. Um, so how is it we're saved? God intervenes and he saves us. He reveals himself to us. He comes to us and, and, and opens our eyes spiritually to things to which our eyes had been blinded before. And I hope Will will experience that opening of his own eyes uh, as Paul did uh, on the road to Damascus. I need to say another quick word here about this uh, whole business of uh, we are healed by his stripes. There is a, a, a brand of Christianity, so-called, uh, the prosperity gospel, that uh, espouses that uh, if you really have a good relationship with the Lord and you have faith, you will have everything you want materially, physically, and uh, furthermore, that you'll be healed and nobody will be sick or have any diseases. And I just think that is poppycock, and I think that's a lie right from the pit of hell, and it smells like smoke to me. Um, that's how I really feel about it. Um, and, and basically, their out is you don't have enough faith if you're still suffering, and you don't have enough faith if you don't have a Cadillac. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having a Cadillac. Uh, but uh, basically uh, what it's saying here is when Jesus went to the cross and this whole section is talking about what's called the substitutionary atonement. Jesus becomes our substitute. I've been watching the uh, FIFA soccer women's uh, tournament and they send substitutes in for somebody else. And here we all are as humanity and Jesus comes in as our substitute and he takes upon himself everything that we deserve and have coming to us in the negative way, and removes it from us and puts it on himself. And that's the way in which we are healed by Jesus Christ. But there are people, and you could ask Paul if you would like to ask him or read scripture about him. He wasn't healed. He asked the Lord three times to take away whatever it is that he had, and the Lord refused. Um, So I don't think that means what the prosperity gospel people think it means. Let me say a few words uh, about suffering uh, first of all, uh, there are those who say, why do we suffer? And I understand that question. That's a legitimate question to be asked. Especially if God is good, uh, why do we have suffering? And God uh, can't be loving and good and allow or cause suffering, can he? Yes, he can. Because God can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, we, many of us have, have a belief in the God of our own making, not the God of Scripture. And the God of Scripture, remember the, uh, the rabbi Kushner that wrote the book When Bad Things Happen to Good People? He tried to take God off the hook uh, for Jesus' death, for suffering and sin and that type of thing. And God says, you know, don't do me any favors. I don't need to be taken off the hook. I'm fine just as I am. And basically the, the bad premise in this book was that when bad things happen to good people, there are no good people Uh, outside of Jesus Christ, uh, there's this belief in our country that we're good people with tendencies to do bad. We're basically bad people with tendencies to do good. And all all that we just, and, and and the other thing that it avoids is the idea that God is holy and that he's just. We just want to talk about his goodness and his love. Well, he's just as just as he is loving and he's just as holy as he is good. And because of his holiness, he can't take pleasure in sin and sinners. And because of his justness, he has to punish sin. 
And that's why death entered the picture. And that's why he came to the rescue to take death off of us and put it on himself. And so with regard to suffering, uh, all of us deserve God's justice. One thing you never want to pray for is, God, give me justice. You don't want to pray that prayer. Uh, All of us have less suffering than we deserve and less suffering than we could have if God weren't merciful enough and patient enough to withhold any more than we already have. Yes, indeed, some people have more than others, and I don't understand why. Sometimes the wicked seem to prosper, and I don't understand why, at least in the temporal sense. Uh, I know they'll get theirs in the end. But with regard to suffering, uh, there is a, a correlation between sin and suffering. Miriam, who disobeyed God and spoke against her brother, she was struck with leprosy. So there's a a direct correlation sometimes between our sin and how we suffer. But then sometimes uh, there is not. Sometimes uh, we have situations where um, we suffer, uh, like the man in John John 9, the blind man. And the question was asked of Jesus, Uh, Well, why is he suffering? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, for neither of those reasons, it is so that the uh, works of God might be revealed in him as Jesus healed him. And so there was that situation. I had a situation in my own family where our daughter Anne, uh, who was three years old, came down with spinal meningitis. 106 temperature was spiking, and she was just burning up. We got her to the doctor and then to the hospital, and we had no idea whatsoever whether she's going to live or die or whether she's going to have brain damage or any other uh, kinds of uh, detrimental effects because of this ravages of this fever. And uh, up to that time, and I need to step back a minute and tell you uh, a little something, and that is that uh, my wife had come to know the Lord. Uh, She was in a Bible study with other women, and uh, she had really changed wonderfully in a lot of ways. And she asked me uh, if I had seen changes in her. And I said, yeah, I had. And she says, well, don't you want to know uh, why these changes are taking place in my life? And I said, well, as long as it's not another man, it's fine with me, whatever. And she says, well, it is. And his name is Jesus. And so she cornered me in the basement of the house, and I prayed to receive Jesus as my uh, Savior. Uh, But he really wasn't my Lord. And I I had this sense, and the only reason I realized that this was... uh, now, looking back, the Holy Spirit working on my heart. The Holy Spirit was working in such a way as I, I, I just felt the hound of heaven was after me. He wanted not just more of me, he wanted all of me. And so uh, there I was with Ann uh, in the hospital. She was uh, comatose. And I, and, and I said to God, and, and you'll laugh when you hear this, as he did. I, said, I started bargaining with him. I said, Lord, I'll tell you what. If you make Ann well, I'll consider, really give serious consideration to giving you all of myself. And I didn't have a vision or I didn't hear a voice, but I just had a sense that he shook his head. And he said, that's not the way you deal with me. And I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what, you make Ann well and I will. Well, that was magnanimous on my part. You make Ann well and I will. And he shook his head again. And he said, that's not the way you deal with me. And then only to the glory of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I said, whether Ann lives or dies, whether she has any residual effects negatively or not, I'll give myself to you. And he says, now you're mine. And I've tried to be his ever since then. I'm not perfect. I've failed on occasions. But that's my intent. 
And so here we have this suffering, and there are other people who, like the people in Charleston, suffer at the hands of others, as did Joseph suffer at the hands of his brothers. But isn't it marvelous, as Zach said, to see what's coming out of that? That terrible tragedy, and I don't mean to whitewash or sugarcoat the tragedy in any way, but here they're stepping up and they're praying for the repentance of the killer. They're forgiving him, but they're being honest that they're in a lot of pain. And that's what suffering can do to you. In this next section, 7 through 9, it speaks of the grave um, and how he was buried in a rich man's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea came along. How he didn't say a word before uh, those who were persecuting him. Uh, Amazingly, I was in New Zealand on a missionary trip, and I saw some uh, sheep uh, that were uh, in in a tourist place that were shown how the dogs worked them, and then they were shown the different, we were shown the different wool uh, on them, how they were uh, bred for certain purposes. But the most interesting thing is when they went to shear them, they showed us uh, with just regular hand shears and then electric shears how a sheep is sheared. And all the time before this, these sheep were just making sheep noises, bleating. And then the minute that these shears got a hold of them, they were totally silent. And I thought, man, scripture's right again. Amazing. Uh, Quickly in this next section, 10 to 12, uh, here we have a section on the glory. We've gone uh, from exaltation to degradation uh, to the depths of the guilt of people for not recognizing Jesus for who he is. His grace pouring through uh, the people of God in marvelous ways. Uh, Him going to the grave and now this last section where it just shows his glory. Uh, where he comes through all of this, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. He has satisfied the demands of God in taking upon himself what we deserve. Uh, He is there in heaven making intercession for us. Um, It's amazing here that his righteousness now is accounted to me as righteousness in me. That's one of the greatest things that I just marvel at as well. Uh, Jim Kennedy once told the story of his cutting the yard, and he realized suddenly he had a wedding, and it was in a half hour. He was all sweaty and dirty. He ran to the church. He put on his robe, his white robe, and he did this wedding. He, he dried himself off as best he could, but he was stinky and filthy underneath, but he looked good to the people. He had his white robe on, and he did the service and went home showered later. But You've got a robe on you, and I've got a robe on me. It's the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. And he's given those to us, that we might be righteous as he is righteous. A marvelous passage of Scripture. I haven't done it justice, and you read it and ask the Spirit to lead you. One of my favorite stories is about a little boy whose dad sent him down to the store to get some milk. And he went took the money and as he went to get the milk he saw ice cream ice cream cones and he had just enough money to get a single scoop of ice cream and so he got that and he got on his bike to go home and as he got on his hands on the handlebars the scoop fell in the dirt he goes home he has to fess up to his dad and his uh, told his dad what had happened justice would be if he got a timeout if he had his allowance reduced or taken away uh, if he had his privileges removed of some kind, that would be justice, getting what you deserve. His dad instead said, come on, get in the car with me. They went back to the store. 
they got some milk, and his dad bought him a triple scoop of ice cream. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And we've all gone to the store on an errand for Jesus, and we've gotten something else other than he sent us for, and we've tainted even that. But he hasn't given us the justice we deserve. His mercy withholds giving us what we should have, and his grace gives us more than we deserve, and we are the recipients of his grace and his blessing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you, Father, for this passage of Scripture. May we dwell upon this. May, may your Spirit work in our hearts and in our minds in these coming days and just realize how great you are, how guilty we've been and are, and how you remove that guilt from us by your grace. Thank you that you went to the grave to prove that love and that you're in glory now and that you give us your glory. And we want to return that glory to you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.